Um, yeah, there's a lot of needs, and you all know that as a church, so may we continue to, uh, to care for and pray for one another. If you have a Bible, we're in Galatians 3. If you're here for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, we are working our way through the book of Galatians. Hey, today, so we are going to try to finish the second half of chapter number 3. Now, if you're, if you're visiting, that may not mean much, but uh, it's taken me four weeks to get through the first 14 verses of uh, Galatians, and so we're going to try to get through the last 15 verses in one week. So, uh, yeah, when I, start to go, when I start to go off track, just push me back in, all right? <laughs> I'm going to summarize, before we jump in, uh, three statements that I think would, would be, able, be able to take the first 14 verses and kind of just summarize what Paul's saying. Remember, he's writing a letter to a group of Galatian churches who are being infiltrated by Judaizers, people who are trying to tell them that believing in Jesus and having faith in Jesus is good, but it's not enough. You must also, you must also do these Jewish laws. You must get circumcised. You must, uh, you must follow the Sabbath. You, you must follow these dietary laws. And Paul is responding, and these are the ways he responds. First, Paul says a person is declared righteous because of their faith in God, not because of their works for God. And he points to Abraham and says Abraham was declared righteous by God for his faith, not for any Jewish laws that he did. Secondly, Paul's going to say any person who looks to the law as proof of their righteousness is living under a curse. And here he, he turns from Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, to Moses, who's a hero of the Jews. And he says, Moses himself said, if you try to find your righteousness in the law, you're under a curse. Because the only way you could be righteous through the law is to obey the entire law, and no one can. So you're under a curse. Third, he turns to Jesus. He looks to those who have, Paul says, those who have looked to, in, look in faith to Jesus as the Messiah are freed from the law's curse and they're freed to God's blessings. So he turns to Abraham the father, Moses the hero, and now Jesus the Messiah of the Jews who actually was rejected. And he said, this one you rejected actually came to redeem you from the curse Moses said you were under, and he wanted to give you the blessing that, that was given to Abraham, that you could be righteous by faith and included in all the promises of God. You just have to believe who Jesus is. And it's kind of where we are right now in Galatians chapter 3. And so we're going to divide the rest of the chapter into three sections. And uh, basically what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read you a question to consider. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to read. And we're going to read it and then try to apply it to our lives. And we're going to do that actually four times because there's three sections, but one of them I kind of, you know, we're going to take it in, in two parts. So here's three questions that they may not make sense right now, but as we begin to read through the rest of Galatians, hopefully they will. So these are three questions I want you to consider today. Did God change his mind after talking with Abraham? Why did God give Moses all those Jewish laws? And what have we gained and lost in Christ? So we're going to get again. Did God change his mind after talking with Abraham? Why did God give Moses all those Jewish laws, and what have we gained and lost in Christ? And today what we're going to try to learn is school's out, because the Spirit is in. Because what we're going to find Paul saying is the law was a tutor, the law was a schoolmaster. But now that Christ is here, school's out. Spirit's here. 
So let's take this first question. Did God change his mind after talking with Abraham? So we're going we're gonna to begin reading in just a moment in verse number 15. And, and in, in verse 15, here's what Paul's going to summarize as, as he goes. He says, these Judaizers are telling you that you need to follow all these laws to be accepted by God. But here's what I want you to consider. So think, Mo, uh, Paul's using logic here. He says, think about this. God declared Abraham to be righteous 430 years before he gave the laws to Moses. Does that mean that God can declare Abraham righteous by faith, but now God, once he's given the law, he is declaring everyone else only righteous if they obey? Did God change his mind after talking with Abraham? And he's going to say, you can't do that. Once you make a contract, once you sign, and, and for, for, for uh, Abraham, it was a covenant more than a contract. Once you sign a covenant, once you, or once you sign a contract, you can't change it halfway through. So we know God can't change, and what that's going to tell us is that what he said to Abraham is still true after the law was given. He never changed his mind. Righteousness does not come through the law. It comes through faith. So let's read Galatians 3.15 and go on. Here we go. It says this. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but... And to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to the seed in the next section, but, so don't forget it, but let's go on and keep reading verse 17. Paul says this, What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. And before we go on, I just, just want, to, want to clarify this. God is giving a promise to Abraham, but you see in the, the, the last sentence behind me, it says God in his grace gave it. So we're going to sometimes call a covenant of grace. So we may say the promises, or we may say the covenant of grace. They're the same thing. It's what God spoke to Abraham. And what, what Paul is saying is God made a covenant with Abraham that he would be righteous, not for doing a thing, but for his faith in God. Now, if you know this, and some of you would, a biblical covenant is very unique. It's more than a handshake. What they would often do is two people who were entering into a covenant, they would take an animal, they would kill the animal, and they would split it in half and separate the two halves, and the two people would walk together through those two halves, basically saying, I promise to you so much that if I break my promise, this is what you can do to me. You can cut me in half. That's, that's what a covenant was. The two people would walk through it together. God made a covenant with Abraham that through his seed, Abraham's seed, the whole earth would be blessed. That's his covenant. It's a covenant by grace. And so when they make this covenant, they actually take four animals and they split those animals down the side and they separate them. But instead of God and Abraham walking through this, 
together. God puts Abraham in a deep sleep. God, through two fiery representations, a, a torch and a fire pot, two fiery flaming representations of God go through those carcasses. And here's what God was saying. I will be faithful to you. You can depend on that. But I also know you won't be faithful to me, Abraham, so I'm not going to ask you to walk through with me because if I were to ask you to walk through with me and I were to hold you to the terms of the covenant we're going to make, you, you would not be able to live because this is what I would have to do to you because you will break this covenant. So I'm going to put you in a deep sleep. I am going to walk through the covenant to show my faithfulness, but I'm going to walk through the covenant a second time with a second representation to show that I will take the punishment for your failure. God's faithfulness and God's willingness to take Abraham's failure is what this covenant was represented by. And that's exactly what the cross is. The cross was the display of God's second representation walking through this covenant, uh, making this covenant with Abraham that said, men have failed, but I have never failed. Men have failed, but in order to keep the promise, I will take their punishment upon myself i'm like that is that is such good news to me what the what what paul is displaying and what we see in this covenant with abraham is that that god was saying to abraham my covenant of grace is not dependent on your obedience at all because you'll fail my covenant is fully dependent on me which makes god's covenant fully depending on his Character And that's awesome. What we have to do is have faith in who God is and what God said he will do. So a couple of months ago, Jamie and I went to my, uh, my nephew's wedding in California. And my brother, who was always so kind to me, called me and said, Hey, I actually reserved a hotel room for you and I paid for it. Well, now I have this choice. I can either believe him. Or I could call and make my own reservations and pay for it myself because I know I don't know if I could because I, I don't know if I could depend on him. I, I'd rather depend on myself. But see, I know my brother. I know his heart. I know how much he loves me. I know him so intimately well that I never questioned his words. So I walked, we walked right into that hotel room. I told them my name is Brian Hassey. They checked me and they gave me a card. I never paid a cent. But I could have if I wouldn't have believed his word. As I was preparing this, I thought to myself, you know how easy it was for me to trust my brother? And how difficult sometimes I find it to trust God? And then I thought, well, that's, that's because I know my brother so well. I guess I just don't know God the way that I should. Because I really think if we truly knew who God was, we would never have to question what he says. But we continually, and that's what the Jews were doing here, these Judaizers, God said this is the way to righteousness, and they said, yeah, but we need obedience. Ah, I would encourage all of us, be more focused on your heavenly relationship with God than on your human relationships with people.
Because as you, are, as you are focused on that relationship with God, it will flow through you to others. Second question that we want to talk about is, why did God give Moses all those Jewish laws? How crazy is 630 different laws these Jews had to, to follow. So we're going to actually split this in two parts because there's two reasons. And Paul's first going to state that the the law of God through Moses was not added as a replacement to the promise, this covenant of grace that he made with Abraham. The law was never meant to be an alternative way of salvation through faith. But what the law did was the law was meant to reveal sin in our lives. He never gave the the law as a way to be saved. He gave the law so we would know we needed to be saved. Have you ever seen a swimmer in the ocean and there are sharks sharks circling that swimmer? If that swimmer has no idea the sharks are there, they're just going on la-di-da. They have no clue that they're in danger. But once you know that those sharks are circling there, you're calling out to anyone and everywhere that you can to get help because you know what danger you are facing. That was the purpose of the law. The law was meant to show you are not truly holy, which means you're under a curse. That curse is death. You need help. And that's what the, that's what the law was meant to do, was to reveal our need for a savior look what paul says in verse 19 he says this why then was the law given at all it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come there's that word seed again i told you i would talk about this so earlier we read that paul said this promise given to abraham and to his seed and that one seed was christ What does that mean? It meant that there would be through the offspring of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promise God gives to Abraham, somehow, some way, a seed will come that would fulfill that, but there's only going to be one. There's not going to be multiple ways. It's only going to be one. That promise is going to be given to Abraham. It will be fulfilled through one seed. And so what the law was meant to do was the law was meant to work until the seed came They received the promise together with Abraham. And Paul said that seed was Christ. Now we have to understand the word Christ is not a name. It's a title. It's like King. King Charles. Now the Queen Elizabeth has passed away. We say Jesus Christ just like people would say King Charles. But really what we should be thinking is Jesus the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. And what Paul was saying was that seed that was promised in Abraham, that that was the Christ, but... And Paul spent his entire life telling people Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the seed. You missed it. The law was meant to reveal your need for a Savior. That Savior came, that Messiah, that Deliverer came. It was Jesus you missed it but as we go on we're going to keep reading just a moment paul's going to talk about how the this promise came came through a mediator let let me just read it It says this 
Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Let me pause right here. The law was given to a man. Who was that man? The law was given to a man. Who was that man? Moses. Moses gives it to the people, right? When God delivers his promise to Abraham, who's the mediator? There isn't one. God comes directly. God gives the promise and the covenants to Abraham directly. No mediator. It's God himself. Even in making the covenant, God takes care of it all his own. So it says a mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. I keep reading. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? So is the law given to Moses opposed to the promise given to Abraham? And Paul says, absolutely not. If a law had been given that, that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. And so we see that the first reason the law of God was simply to reveal our sin, our need for a Savior, the law cannot save. But the law didn't need to save because God had already promised a deliverer. So was the purpose of the law to show you need a deliverer. You need to be delivered. You need a Messiah. You are in grave danger. But God has sent a deliverer. And this is what every Israelite was supposed to think every time they took the Passover meal, every time they brought a sacrifice, every time they were circumcised, every time they paused to sit on the Sabbath. It was all saying we are in need of a deliverer. God has promised one. We cannot wait. We are looking for it. As the book of Hebrews says, every sacrifice, every priest, every temple, it was all a shame that pointed to a to a coming reality because the blood of those bulls and goats they were never take away sin but one day there would be a deliverer there would be a messiah that would come whose blood would take away our sin we are looking to that in this area when the leaves change what does that indicate well winter's coming can i ask you does winter come because the leaves change? Well, actually, actually, Sadie, I know your dad probably told you different. No, the, this winter doesn't appear because the leaves change. The leaves changing are an indication to everyone winter, a new season is approaching, Right? So every time they would bring a sacrifice, the sacrifice was meant to say, look forward, something's coming. Those, those sacrifices were never the fulfillment. They were always pointing to a fulfillment is coming. For us, totally different. We look backwards. We look back, the fulfillment has come. And that changes, that changes things. Because when we read the Old Testament, we often read of promises where God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. And sometimes we think, well, that's me. If I obey God, he'll bless me. But, but let's not forget, those people were looking forward. So why would God say, if you obey me, I will bless you? 
because God was showing his word was true. If you rebel against me, I will send punishment until you correctly follow me again. But I will bless you if, you if you follow me. I will curse you if you turn from me. Because I want you to know that my word is true. And there is a deliverer I promised you, and that came through my word. Well, they kept looking forward. We are on the other side. We look backwards and we see God did keep his word. God did fulfill his promise. God did send a deliverer. And you know what we see in the New Testament now? We do not see promises. If you follow me, I will bless you. We see if you follow me, you will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be despised. And you will be rejected. But I will be with you. That's a little bit different. We have people all over our country and all over the world preaching a prosperity gospel that if you are living the right way, the blessings of God are going to fall out of heaven on you. And that is not at all what the New Testament says. The New Testament said the blessings of God have already fallen on you in Jesus. Therefore, obey. And as you obey, no. It's not blessings you're going to get. You're going to be despised. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. But, hey, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed. That's the promise that we have today. That means that every believer's obedience is not an anticipation of receiving future blessings. It's an assurance of having already received blessings through Jesus. I promise you, maybe not true in this room, but possibly, but I promise you there are churches all over our world today filled with people who have this thought. Well, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to see if God's going to give me what I want next week. Is God going to bless me because I obeyed? And they'll be very disappointed if they don't get what they want. On the other hand... There are families who walk into churches all over this world today not saying, I'm going to go because I want God to bless me. They're, they're getting in their cars because they say, I can't wait to get together with other believers who God has blessed through Jesus. Oh, we're going to sing about his salvation. We're going to sing about what happens when I truly am in Christ alone. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. We're going to pray to the God we know listens to us, who cares about us. And we have seen that so clearly in the way that he sent his son Jesus to be our deliverer. I can't wait to get there. You know, people who have that thought when their loved one passes away can look right at me. Lisa can look right at me and not shed a tear and say, I am so joyful that my father, that my husband, that my father-in-law, that my grandfather is singing in glory with Jesus today. He's walking down the street singing heavenly sunshine. That's what the Grandstaff family said yesterday. You know how they can say that? Because they're not depending on whether or not they get the blessings from God. They understand we've already received the blessings of God. We're going to live in obedience, but we live in a broken world with broken people, and we will go through suffering and heartache and trials, but praise the Lord one day. That'll all come to an end. But I'll follow him today. Not for what I get, for what I already received the law was meant to point those before jesus to god's promise in jesus 
We are on the other side, and we get to look back at God's fulfillment of his word in Jesus. That's one reason. The second reason why did God give Moses all those Jewish laws is because the law was meant to protect people from corrupting influences until the seed, until the Messiah, until the deliverer would come. The law would never provide salvation, but it could provide protection. Look at verse 22 with me. The Bible says this, but the scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now the NIV uses guardian. The King James uses the word schoolmaster. The New King James would say tutor, all with the Greek word pedagogue. I, mean, I know you're not here for school, but a pedagogue was somebody who would take care of a child until they reached adulthood. It was typically a slave or a servant who was said, you have the authority of the parents to make decisions on behalf of this child in order to keep him safe until he reaches the point of adulthood. Once he reaches the point of adulthood, that child who was raised by a pedagogue now has authority over the pedagogue. That's what the law was meant to do. The law was meant to protect the people of God until the covenant of grace could be fulfilled. They were waiting for the seed to come. And when Jesus, the Messiah, came, lived a, perfectly, lived a perfect life, went to the cross for the curse of sin, was crucified, was buried, was resurrected, and ascended and sat down at the throne of heaven. Everything was done. The law no longer needed to guard them. Man, that's strange. I really think this is something that we as believers really, really need to, to, to embrace and take a hold of we live on the other side of the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, we have some strange things. No matter how much you love God, you have got to wrestle with the fact that there are times where we read in the Old Testament where you go, Eesh. I don't like that he did that. I don't like that he said that. Ugh. He commanded them to kill all the men, women, and children in that town. here's what we don't understand there's something different between those who live after the cross and those who live before the cross before the cross they were influenced from the outside in that's why god said when you go somewhere 
eliminate all of the influences that will turn your heart from me. Kill every man, every woman, every children. That sounds terrible to us, but what God was doing was he was getting rid. He was completely wiping away any outside influence that might turn his people's hearts away from him. I don't want you to talk to him. I don't want you to marry him. I don't want you to make covenants with him. Eliminate them. And we're like, oh, I don't like that. But God knew my people's hearts will be turned by what's around them. So the law was meant to protect them from those outside influences as much as possible. But school's out. The schoolmaster is no longer needed because those on the other side of the cross have something different. What does Jesus say to his disciples just before he goes to the cross about what he's going to send when he leaves? Because he knows the law was meant to protect him, his people until he had completed the work. And he hadn't completed the work when he's talking to him. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be buried. He's about to be, he's about to be resurrected. And then he's going to ascend. And then it will all be all done. And when he gets back to the heavenly father, when he gets back to the side of his father, something will come. You know what that thing is. That person is. But here's what, John, here's, what, here's what Jesus says, and John records it in verse number 7, chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you, the truth is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Listen to this. When he comes, he, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will convict the sin and righteousness and judgment time out that's what the law did the law convicted people of sin you don't follow all these laws the law pronounced righteousness it showed God's holiness and his perfection the law pronounced judgment now Jesus is saying I'm going to send you a helper and when he comes, he's going to do the work the law had done. And then in verse number 13, he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit would speak the very words of Jesus. But here's what he says. He's going to guide you. Whoa, wait. Now, now, what did the Old Testament have to guide them? What did those saints have? Well, what did David say in Psalm 119 about the law? Oh, Psalm 119 was this beautiful psalm. All of it was about the law of God. And he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But Jesus is now saying, but I'm going to send you a spirit. And the spirit, he's going to guide you into all truth. You know what happens in the New Testament? Once that spirit is sent, you know what we don't ever read? Go kill all those people anymore. We never read that anymore. God's people are never commanded to wipe out civilizations any longer. Does God not care about wickedness anymore? Has he changed his mind about sin? We know God hasn't changed his mind. So what did change? The Spirit. The Spirit 
came in and instead of saying go wipe all those people out now the command of jesus is while you have my spirit go into all the world wait 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 whoa hold, hold on we at one time we had to stay far away from those heathens now you're telling us go to the heathens with the gospel absolutely we go to the nations. We go to the heathens. We go to those who don't know Christ. And we go with the message of Jesus. But what about the influences from the outside in? No, no, no. See, we have something inside of us now that the Old Testament saints didn't have. And that's the Spirit of God. And what the Spirit of God does is the Spirit says you've already overcome the world through Jesus. He's conquered as the Messiah and deliverer. He has conquered the evil spirits. He has defeated the wickedness. And he's indwelling you. Now take that victory and realize greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world and Go with the message of the gospel, even to the heathens. Okay, so then that, that brings up a really strange question. Does the presence of the Spirit of God replace the Word of God? Absolutely not. The Spirit of God and the word of God now begin to work in tandem with one another for an even greater purpose. You see, the spirit of truth is meant to guide me, but we already know, hey, even the law shows us a lamp and a light. And so the spirit guiding us, the word, the light of the word, I can see even more clearly the path that God has called me to live. How the word of God and the spirit of God working in our lives in tandem is amazing. The word reveals the promises of God, the character of God, and the ways of God from the beginning of time so we know through the word who God is. But what we have to keep in mind is that the presence of the Spirit in my life really, really, really matters in how I approach the Bible. Because what I don't do is go to the Old Testament and read the Old Testament and read the story of David and say, ooh, I, I'm going to be like David. No. We don't read the story of Daniel who got thrown into the lion's den and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Daniel. No. No, what the Spirit of God does is the Spirit of God works in us as we read the Word of God to show us what Luke 24 tells us, that Jesus said to the disciples who walked with him, everything in the Old Testament points to me. The Old Testament is about Jesus. It's not about David. It's not about how we live. It's not about the laws we're supposed to keep. It's all about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit begins to reveal that to us. Even when we read something like, forgive me, because I know this is going to offend some of you, but even when we read something like the Ten Commandments, we don't read the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and say, I've got to keep every one of these, old oh, I've got to keep every one of these Ten Commandments. No, no, no. no that's, that's not how we approach it. What, are these, what is the Old Testament telling us? Jesus. 
What does Jesus say about the Ten Commandments? If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you can hang all the laws and all the commandments on those two statements. I don't read and say, I must, I must, I must, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. Here's what I read. I know what Jesus said about the commands. Love God with all of my being. Love my neighbor as myself. Jesus changes that and says, love your neighbor as I have loved you, right? So I, I don't have to worry about keeping these Ten Commandments if I worry about loving God. That's how Jesus has sent the Spirit to work as we, as followers of Jesus, read the Word of God. I, I, I've got to quit, but I, want to, I just want to tell you one, 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 one illustration. So when our family, and you know this, how, how I've, if you've been here for years, I've shared with you the struggles that we were personally going through before we came to Mount Carmel. I could take you to the spot in our youth building in Hammond, Indiana, where I was standing, and I, was, I know right where I was standing, I know who I was looking at, I know the conversation that I overheard, and in that moment, I am 100% absolutely guaranteed no one could convince me otherwise. I heard the Spirit of God tell me, your time is over. And that was hurtful, because that was my home. What the Spirit of God did not reveal was what's next. Just simply, you're not going to be here much longer. Well, I knew that, and it was clear as day, but I didn't know what to do with that. Came across Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Wait patiently. Verse number 7 says, rest in the Lord. Verse 23 of Psalm 37 says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Psalm 37 says, the ways, 37, 23 says, the ways of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I came across those verses, and while my heart was anxious to see what God had because I knew my time was ending, I didn't know where God was going to take me. But as coming to the Word, oh, here's what the Word did. It confirmed that what God had said, but that I was not ready yet. That was November 2014. June of 2016, almost two years later, I'm in my normal, regular devotions regularly talking to the Lord, regularly seeking the guidance that the Holy Spirit was meant to give me. And well, in my Deuteronomy. If you know the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is getting the Israel ready to go to the promised land. I was so ready to go to the promised land. I was reading what this was, and I'm like, oh Lord, would you just take me to where you want me to be? Just get me there. I was ready to go because of the word. Gordon Demerit calls me from this church. We come to visit in October, and I'm going to be honest, and I don't mean to, I don't want to hurt your feelings at all. But you can understand living just outside Chicago for your entire life, driving through Lou Ray, Virginia, downtown Lou Ray, Virginia, doesn't look comparable. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I don't mean, I don't, I don't mean this unkind, but we drove through there 
And I said, there's no way we are ever going to live here. I don't want to live in the country. I don't. We met some incredible people, the nicest people in the world, but I don't want to live here with them. That's what my heart was saying. We showed up for church on Sunday morning, sitting, Joey, right where you you. When we stood to sing, and you all began to worship, I couldn't stop crying. Because in that moment, the Spirit, the Spirit of God said, this is it. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what I've been preparing you for. Here's the thing. I didn't have to run back to the Bible for confirmation because the Bible had already been working with the Spirit to prepare me for listening to the guide of all truth when he talked to me and said, this is it. You see, here's the cool thing about the Spirit of God. Jeremiah looked centuries ahead of time and he said, one day, this covenant, this covenant that God has made with his people, here's what it's going to result in. I will put my law not on words, not on stone tablets. I am going to put my words, my law in their, in their minds, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We go to the word and we find confirmation for what he's already doing. But you know what? And I, I, again, I, I don't mean to be unkind, and I, I hope it's not. There are some Christians who, when you talk about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they get weirded out. That was, that was for another time. I know there's some abuses. I'm absol I absolutely agree. There's some terrible abuses by people of the gifts of the Spirit. But I wonder sometimes... If we're missing, if we're missing as, as a believer, if we're missing the partnership that Jesus Christ intended for the Spirit of God to work together in our hearts with the Word of God. We're on this side of the cross. We have the Spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Go live it out. Go live it out. You know why people can enter into the world and be influenced by sin? Because sometimes they never really truly had the Spirit in there. I'm not saying that's true of everybody. I'm saying sometimes that is true. I want to encourage you. If you, are a, if you are a believer in Jesus and you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you have given, been given victory over the world. So step out into the calling that Christ has for you. And the Spirit, if you're listening to it, he will guide you into that truth. So as you, as you pray, and we're just a moment, we're about to, I'm just going to give you a time to pray. Trin, could you go to the piano? I just, I just, just, just time to pray. I want you to actually say, Spirit, talk to me. Guide me. Lead me. Teach me. And as you open up the Bible tomorrow, say, Spirit, talk through this word to me. Confirm what you're doing. Don't, don't open the Bible, close it, and then go on. Ask the Spirit to work in tandem with you. Because this is what happened when Jesus completed his work as the Messiah. That's who he sent for our good and for his glory.
I won't finish chapter three. Surprise, surprise. Uh, we'll get to the end next week. Let's pray together.